You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. For many reporters who are used to covering rural Canadian stories about protests and natural resource extraction, about disputed Indigenous lands, and other tense issues that take place outside of cities, what we've seen in the past couple of weeks has been nothing shocking. But it has, perhaps, been the last straw. If you cross this line, you will be arrested for obstruction. Obstruction of what? Well, we can it's safely not observe happening. this. Go, okay. go. It's not happening. Or you will be arrested. Those are clips out of Port Renfrew, British Columbia. You may recall this similar sort of RCMP versus reporter dynamic from previous editions, such as the Wet'suwet'en protests, the Muskrat Falls Hydro Project, and basically any activity outside a major city that lets the RCMP set up an exclusion zone. And those things they exclude are often journalists. Media aren't being allowed in, but this scene was filmed by those who call themselves land defenders. Now Newfoundland and Labrador may be the first uh, province where a journalist is hauled off the job like that by the Supreme Court. So I don't know what else to say at this point, but I can't do my job anymore. So I spent a week at the camp in the last week of August. Everything was fine until I got a call a couple days after I'd been there from the police letting me, letting me know that they were intending to arrest me. This time, though, the journalists have had enough. A coalition of media groups and press freedom organizations has filed an application in BC court to ask a judge to force the RCMP to let journalists in to the latest exclusion zone. And what comes from that filing will likely set the tone for the next several years of access to protests in rural areas that are policed by the RCMP. It also raises a whole bunch of interesting questions. First, why is the RCMP so interested in keeping journalists away from these sorts of protests? When the police say that they will let, quote, accredited journalists in, what does that actually mean? And with the media landscape in Canada shifting by the week, how is the traditional dynamic of police and protesters and reporters covering them both changing? And lastly, what do we lose from the actual story when the takeaway becomes the cops versus the media? Jordan Heath-Rawlings, this is The Big Story. Brent Jolly is the president of the Canadian Association of Journalists, one of those organizations leading this charge. Hey, Brent. Hey, Jordan. How's it going? It's going really well. What's going on right now near Port Renfrew in British Columbia? Yeah, so what's been going on is um, there's an old growth forest in the sort of in the Ferry Creek watershed, um, and there's an, a logging or a forestry company called Teal Jones that's looking to do logging in the area. Uh, so the BC Supreme Court granted them an order, which sort of allows the RCMP broad power to enforce an injunction um, that prohibits uh, the obstruction of logging activities going on in that in that old growth forest. Now, of course, you know, it's a it's a pristine wilderness site. Um, so that definitely has an effect on how people see this. Right. Um, you know, there's emotional connections to it and and tensions run high when you when you get into this kind of stuff. So um, there have been, you know, demonstrations going on. But from the point of view of the media covering it, um, the issue is that 
the RCMP basically is not allowing journalists to get through to document or to witness the activities that the RCMP are undertaking as they try and enforce the injunction to, you know, clear the protesters out. And I guess what they would call it is sort of stabilize the area. (laughs) When you say that the journalists aren't being permitted to document it, what does that look like on the ground? What's happening? Yeah, well, sometimes, I mean, it's been different on several different days. So it's kind of a moving target. Okay. On some days, they have allowed earlier on, they initially allowed a few cor- a few writers to access the area and sort of people did what they needed to do. And then another time they threw up a lot of roadblocks, both physical and metaphorical, um, saying, you know, that, oh, well, you can't get into this area unless you're an accredited journalist, which of course, you know, there's no accreditation body for journalism in Canada, um, you know, just in in accordance with free expression laws and things. And then so sometimes uh, they're they're sort of corralled and there's a sort of a a media convoy that goes in. Um, But again, the problem with that is that they're often so far away from the activities taking place that you can't really hear or see or, you know, capture the, the essence of what's going on. Um, in those in those spaces. That's a problem too, you know, because then if you mm-hmm. can't see what's going on, you really can't report accurately or fairly on uh, and document what's going on there. So their efforts to prevent access have been have been varied. Um, some other examples that they had, you know, they would used to send out an evening briefing uh, of for for journalists uh, looking to attend or to go in. To the area. Um, they stopped sending that around in the evening and they began sending that around in the morning. Hmm. Oftentimes, you know, if somebody was coming from Victoria, because um, it takes about an hour and a half or so to get from Victoria to, to the area, right. you know, they wouldn't have enough time to get there um, based on the time that the <laughs> email was sent. So there's a lot of, a lot of strategic, uh, I would say, game playing here on the part of the RCMP to sort of continually shift the goalposts on uh, what access looks like on any given day. And, and, and that's a problem because you don't know how you're going to try and access the story and do the story that, that needs to be covered. Before we get into what you guys and a group of media are doing about it, because we have a lot of listeners who are obviously not members of the media and, and this can kind of sound a little like inside baseball, can you explain a little bit more to me about what you said about accreditation and how it doesn't exist. Because again, I think for people who aren't, you know, speaking the media lingo, we assume that journalists are accredited and that if you're accredited, you should be allowed into whatever official story you're trying to access. But that's not how it works. No, no. Journalism is not like, um, you know, being a doctor or being a lawyer where you sort of have a college of physicians or a law society. It's a self-regulated profession. And I think that's an important factor because of journalist tradition um, and the necessity of journalists to be independent. You know, who would ultimately monitor that designation? Um, would it be the government? You know, then, well, how would you go about criticizing or reporting fairly and ask, asking difficult questions um, if your sort of overlord is, is someone in the government that you go back to to, you know, be justified to be a journalist? Think about it the other way, you know, if it's another media outlet. So is that could create, you know, pressure to conform or, you know, to include or exclude people who are seen as competition. Mm. I mean, also the courts. So 
I mean, they there's there's laws to deal with things like libel and defamation and and you know hate speech and all of these things. So that's that's a helpful framework. But I think really defining you know who is a journalist and using that word is is quite problematic because it allows for you know censorship or limitations on speech, and that really runs counter to the notions of free expression and the freedom of the media that is embedded in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and and that Canadians strongly endorse and have repeatedly endorsed over time. So tell me then uh, what the CAJ and uh, a whole bunch of other uh, independent and non-independent media are doing to try to fight this. What we've decided to do is we um, we found a, a lawyer, a, non-pro, um, a, a pro bono lawyer, uh, whose name is Sean Hearn. He's based in, in the Victoria area. And we are we are going to challenge the the injunction that's prohibiting journalists from accessing the area and reporting on it in a in a fair and accurate way, because, frankly, (laughs) the conduct that we've seen from the RCMP over the last several years um, has been completely out of line and it's gotten out of control. And I think this is an opportunity that we've decided as a group that, you know, journalists and journalism needs to assert itself and uh, to push back against unfair restrictions and make sure that we have uh, the proper access that we're afforded in accordance with, you know, legal jurisprudence and and court cases and, and laws and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's very important. I think it's it says a lot that, you know, we're taking collective action in this time because it's an issue that is so critical to the foundation of the craft um, that we just can't, we can't stand by and, and watch it disappear any further. You mentioned the past several years, and I think that's key here because if this was one RCMP um, blockade near Port Renfrew, we might not be covering it. Um, the same number of media outlets might not have gotten involved, but this is something like the last straw kind of for you guys, right? Can you offer up that context? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That's it's I mean, this is a pattern of bad behavior that's gone on for far too long. So we look back to last year to the Witsuitan situation when that was going on and how the RCMP sort of, you know, trampled, <laughs> trampled, uh, you know, the the opportunity of journalists to cover that area, you know, pulled guns on on photographers and, you know, detained a correspondent for eight hours, uh, preventing him from doing his job and covering a story. We go back further as well to the Justin Brake case which was quite critical in terms of establishing, you know, basic precedents and basic basic rules um, for how journalists are allowed to report uh, in the public interest in injunction zones. Um, and I think that that set a really important standard for press freedom rights in Canada. And then there's also the case that happened last year as well to an Indigenous journalist named Carl Dockstader um, near Caledonia, mm. who was reporting on uh, a land development right. and was detained by uh, and charged by the RCMP with, you know, some, or the OPP, I'm sorry, with some some you know, trumped up charges that sort of deterred him from doing his job at that moment in time. And then, you know, convincingly uh, dropped the charges after the fact when, when, you know, the the threat as they might see it here has been, uh, been deterred. So, I mean, it's this, it's this repeated pattern of, 
<laughs> of abuse and and the trampling of media's rights um, that we've decided to take these fairly unprecedented steps um, and and to stand up for for the craft. The big story will be back in just a minute. You know, I recognize that I'm asking someone who obviously has a stake in it, obviously might be biased. Look, I've been a journalist for a while. I might be biased too. But when the RCMP does this stuff, what is the legal precedent that they're using? Why are they allowed to do this? And what exactly are you guys challenging? Well, the problem is injunctions are <laughs> are kind of messy tools. You know, they're brought with little or no notice uh, before courts when maybe all the available facts might not be in hand, that can be a problem, you know, and also the fact that the police ultimately have broad discretionary powers to enforce these things as they see fit. You know, many, many of the, the officers we've seen on the ground in, uh, in, in the Ferry Creek area are really unfamiliar with the role of the media and what's mm-hmm. going on and, you know, how that's different. I think a lot of them sort of see the media and journalists as, you know, just another, another, another group of protesters or, or something like that, you know, they've been very dismissive, um, towards journalism and, and that casual disregard isn't borne out in, in the law and the special status that, that journalists are afforded in these kind of areas that came down, especially from the, the Newfoundland Court of Appeal in the Justin Brake case, you know, so they laid out a special test, um, a five point test, if you will, for determining, you know, whether a journalist is allowed to participate in these areas uh, and during injunction zones. And what they decided and what they found was that, you know, as long as journalists aren't interfering with um, law enforcement, um, and that they're observing and not acting as participants um, in the demonstrations, that that provides them with the latitude to be there to cover and to document uh, and to report on the activities that are being undertaken by the RCMP uh, in those circumstances. So what's the next step for this filing then? What do you hope to see happen and when? Well, first of all, we've so we've submitted our notice of application the application is kind of going through the legal process, you know, making sure that all the the parties are notified of the action and all that sort of, you know, back and forth quasi bureaucratic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're hoping is to see uh, a modification of the injunction that will allow journalists uh, proper access to the area that uh, is currently being restricted by the RCMP. And that hopefully, I mean, from a bigger picture point of view, uh, I think it would be a great opportunity to provide some education to the RCMP about the role uh, of journalists in this area, uh, you know, under injunction zones. And, I, you know, I think it's also a very useful opportunity for the RCMP to take stock of their uh, media relations uh, strategy. You know, this is not the first time this has happened. And yet it seems like Groundhog Day when we deal with the RCMP. It's, you know, there are no policies in place. There are no plans in place. It's sort of written up, it seems like, on the back of a bar napkin. And that's, that's not fair. That's not right. Um, there should be more consideration given 
to how journalists should be able to access the area and report on police activities that are going on without sort of the RCMP just having ultimate superpowers um, and the discretion to sort of shut things down based on however they feel at that time or to prevent you know, journalists from documenting uh, arrests being made, you know, because that's, that's fundamentally anti-democratic and, uh, and it's, it's not, it's not right. And we're not going to stand for it. Is this solely an RCMP issue? I know you mentioned the OPP fairly briefly. I guess what I'm trying to wrap my head around is, is this a problem with that organization? Is it a problem with policing in rural areas, say, compared to policing a major city. Like, you guys don't hear this kind of stuff from journalists in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, right? That's exactly right. And I think that this is sort of something that's going to be revealed in this sort of discussion is this is a very uh, strategic move by the RCMP because there is no cell service for, you know, about an hour, an hour and a half around. Uh, Hmm. So it becomes very difficult for journalists to um, have access to, you know, cell phones, to text media relations, or to get people to to comment on things. It's it's a real challenge, and I think the fact that this is in talking about the within the context, the wider context of you know resource extraction. Um, I think we're going to be that's going to be an area that's definitely going to be rife with. Uh, debate over the next little while, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's in areas such as this, like an old growth forest that definitely has um, an emotional connection to a lot of people. Uh, I don't think we'd be seeing the same sort of behavior if this were a demonstration taking place in Stanley Park in in Vancouver. Um, this is deliberate, I believe, because the RCMP understands that access to the outside world, and I'm using air quotes here, is is restricted and much more difficult. And that's part of the plan from from everything I can gather here based on the evidence that, that I've been presented. When the story of the media versus the RCMP becomes the story me and you were talking about today, what happens to the story of the old growth forest being extracted? Well, that's a hard one because ultimately, if the media isn't there, how do you cover the story? You know, it creates a fundamental problem. If there are no cameras there, there are no photojournalists there, there are no, you know, online digital reporters doing slideshows or writing pieces, uh, what happens when when that's not there? I mean, ultimately, you know, it advantages the RCMP. It becomes a no bad press zone, basically. And that's a problem. That's that's a huge problem because you are taking a story that is, you know, of interest clearly to the public, you know, both in British Columbia and nationally, uh, and you're shutting it down and you're conducting, you know, police tactics and all kinds of thing under the cloak of darkness. And, you know, that that might work in in a, a far flung country, but that's definitely not something I would expect from Canada when we champion ourselves to be you know, uh, right, uh, supreme holders and, and virtue, uh, virtue signalers on on rights and freedoms and things like that. I think this is a, an inherent contradiction in that narrative. And that's something that we really need to sit back and think about very carefully. I want to ask you one more question before I let you go. And I want to kind of put on my devil's advocate hat here and ask you about the changing nature of journalism in Canada. And by that, I mean a little bit like like what you touched on before about not being able to accredit journalists because there are more and more independent journalists than ever these days as major 
news outlets have made cuts. And also, I think that we're seeing less hesitancy from journalists to identify with the side of the wronged rather than remain perhaps as purely objective as they had in the past. And so in a world like that where those lines get blurred and more and more journalists are independent journalists telling their own story without major affiliations, you know, how do you draw the line between who's there because they're on one side of this argument and they're covering it from that side and who's there to be objective? And to be clear, I'm not saying... I know what the right answer is here. Well, I think I would come back to what I was saying a bit about the the Justin Brake, you know, the legal test and the, the the plans that were put forward there. You know, media individuals can be there. Uh, you know, there are legal observers who are also uh, trying to get access to the to the injunction zone. You know, that are being prevented from doing that as well. I think ultimately what we come back to is the behavior and the the general mindset of the individuals who are there. You know, mm-hmm. how are they conducting themselves? Are they there for the purposes of gathering information? Uh, or are they there to, you know, sort of say they're a journalist so that they can get in and then climb up a tree? You know, I, I, I think that I think that there's a very um, strong distinction there. And, you know, that comes with sort of the overall, you know, it's a journalism ethics and standards question that, you know, as long as you're there with the intent and of the mind to gather information and to share it with the public, that's sort of the the, the twist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for sure, the idea from... Um, you know, media and, and journalism has gone from linear to kaleidoscopic um, in no time flat. And that's that's a question. But I think, you know, this comes back to basic questions of journalism, uh, ethics and standards. And that that's kind of the ground that we can use to to make those distinctions on. To be completely honest, there are other also more practical solutions um, that I think would be completely fair um, that maybe the RCMP could consider as well, you know, getting badges that people wear around their neck every day, uh, you know, whether they stay in or come out every day, you know, to give them a, ba- a badge that says number one or number two or says press on it be based on what you said um, you would be doing there. I think, you know, that's a very practical solution um, that the RCMP can can take to identify, you know, who's a journalist or who's self-identified as a journalist versus who's there for other purposes. I think there are there are different ways to think about it, but that's just one that I would think would be something really practical and, and an easy to do, um, you know, solution that could be done right away and, and avoid a lot of these problems. If we do that, can we please go back to like wearing fedoras and sticking the little press card in the band? Deal. The CAJ will make some. We'll 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 print some up and uh, we'll start a we'll start a textiles division. Perfect, Brent. Thank you so much uh, for that thoughtful answer to a question I probably didn't ask very well. And thank you for all your insight uh, on this topic. For sure, no problem, Jordan. Anytime. Glad to come back anytime and keep you updated on how things develop. Brent Jolly, president of the CAJ. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter, as always, at TheBigStoryFPN. Talk to us anytime via email, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. 
and check out your favorite podcast player to find us. Or do us a real favor and find your second favorite podcast player and follow us there too. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.